Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me for the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Natalie Hayden, who writes the blog Lights, Camera, Crohn's. Natalie is a former TV news anchor who has now dedicated herself to being an advocate for those battling inflammatory bowel disease and showing that a chronic illness doesn't have to dull your sparkle. Natalie was diagnosed with Crohn's in July 2005. Ten years later, after several hospitalizations, countless medications, and flare-ups, she underwent her first surgery in August 2015. Since then, she and her husband welcomed their firstborn child in March of 2017 and are currently awaiting the birth of their baby girl this January. Thank you so much for joining me today, Natalie, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you've been doing amazing things, so I'm, I'm really excited to be talking uh, with you. Thank you. Well, you've been battling Crohn's for almost 14 years now, and since we know mm -hmm. that every IBD diagnosis and journey is different, why don't you start by telling me your own Crohn's story from your first flare and up to your diagnosis? Sure. So um, I was very lucky in the fact that as I grew up through the years. I was a picture of health. I was an athlete. I played soccer year-round, basketball, track. Never even had an ear infection. Uh, went to college at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. studying journalism with aspirations to be a news reporter um, and news anchor. And um, didn't have any issues my first three years. But my senior year, I started just feeling like my stomach was bothering me. You know, I, I actually joke that I thought I was eating too much Taco Bell with my roommate. <laughs> you know, it was just like I never had any idea that it could possibly be IBD. Mm -hmm. Well, I graduated from college in May 2005, and shortly thereafter, I'm talking maybe less than two weeks, I started having these fevers that would top, you know, 104 degrees. Wow. Um, I would get these terrible stomach pains anytime I ate anything, and I started losing weight, and I was extremely fatigued, and I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. Um, mm -hmm. I had grown up with some friends that did have IBD, so I was aware of what it was, mm -hmm. but I, you know, didn't want to think that that was what was actually happening to me. Well, we went, ended up going to a general practitioner, and first she thought it was my um, gallbladder, then she thought it was my appendix. I went through some testing, blood work, I looked anemic, but she wasn't really able to pinpoint anything. After each ultrasound or test, she would just say, well, everything looks pristine, but my symptoms were persisting, so I mm -hmm. knew something wasn't right. Um, my mom's been a nurse forever, and she... Um, came home from work one day and I had not showered. And I'm one of those people who the minute I wake up in the morning, I shower and I get dressed. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, almost 5 p.m. at night. And she looked at me and I was so lethargic and so sick on the couch. She said, you know what, we're just going to the ER. So we went to the ER and they did a abdominal, excuse me, they did an abdominal <laughs> CAT scan mm -hmm. um, along with a rectal exam. And um, it's kind of unique that the ER doctor actually diagnosed me with Crohn's disease in the emergency room, wow. uh, which not many people, you know, encompass with their diagnosis. And it only took two and a half months about for me to get an answer. Um, so I feel lucky in that regard. But it's one of those things where I went from being perfectly healthy to being blindsided by a diagnosis of a chronic illness at age 21. Mm -hmm. I was in the middle of my job search for my first job out of school um, with aspirations to move anywhere across the United States on my own to follow my journalism dream. And it just felt like a ton of bricks were coming, crashing down on me. Um, I was hospitalized immediately because I was malnourished, I was malnourished and dehydrated and so sick and um, had a colonoscopy my first the next day. And they sent me home on 22 pills a day. And uh, wow. <laughs> it was one of the probably the most difficult couple weeks of my life, um, just coming to grips with all that was ahead. And I felt very lost and very, very upset. 
and didn't have anywhere to turn to. And at that time in 2005, Mm -hmm. there were really not any blogs I was aware of. I didn't even know about patient advocacy. Mm -hmm. Um, It just kind of felt like they handed you this diagnosis and sent you home and you were supposed to, you know, go from there and be just fine. And it was very challenging and difficult. Yeah, I definitely can understand that. I was diagnosed in 2006 and right Mm -hmm. about the same time. And it was just, there really wasn't a whole lot to follow or do back then. It's really amazing how different it is now. And when I would ask the doctors, what do I do? Can I do anything? It was just, you can't do anything. Take this medication and call, um, call the office Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you need us. Yeah. It's uh, and it's really surprising, just as you were saying, how fast it can come on and happen. Where you're just you're blindsided. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really remarkable. It's out of the blue. Mine was very similar. It was just all of a sudden your life has changed one day. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, it's, a, it's a lot to handle. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, <laughs> no does, matter what age you are. <laughs> exactly. Does anyone else in your family have IBD, or were you the first? You said you had friends, but were you the first? family? Yeah, I was, I'm the only person in my family with inflammatory bowel disease, but ironically, my cousin's wife, um, so she's not blood relative, mm-hmm. but she was diagnosed with Crohn's the same week as me. Oh, wow. And she had been in our family for a very long time. They went to high school together and everything. So, and he's older than me. So we were both diagnosed the same week, went to the same practice, um, and endured much of the same from the beginning. So if wow. anything, it was almost like she's been my lifeline. Uh, we joke that we're like crone sisters and her <laughs> husband is King Crone. And it was this whole joke back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was crazy that we were both diagnosed at the same time. That is crazy, but kind of a, a blessing that you had someone to go yeah. through it together. <laughs> Definitely. If you can look at it that way, but mm-hmm. well, thank you for for sharing that story because one of the things I find that is so exciting is the IBD community is so supportive, and everyone that I've met is eager to share and talk and just learn from each other. So I really think mm-hmm. it's valuable for us to be able to communicate, learn how we're different, learn how we're similar, and yeah. figure out a path to go. So you exactly, s- because, you know, every patient journey is so unique and different, but at the same time, we can all relate to so mm-hmm. much, you know, whether it's being on prednisone or getting that diagnosis or yes. getting relationships, um, we can all relate on so many different levels. And it's like talking to a person you've been friends with your whole life, even though it's the first time you've talked to them. Exactly. It's pretty amazing. Well, mm-hmm. you seem to be in a, a pretty good spot right now managing your IBD. So Tell me yeah. if that's true. <laughs> Tell me what, what did it take for you to finally get to that point? You know, I'm definitely in a good spot right now. I am 36 weeks pregnant, so I attribute much of my remission state to that uh, because the hormones with pregnancy, you know, there's a rule of thirds. One third of people get better. One third stay pretty the same, and then the other third get worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went into my pregnancy um, with very few symptoms and, in quote, remission. I'm always hesitant to that one <laughs> because it can change on, you know, the drop yes. of a dime. But um, I went into my pregnancy doing well and it's carried through um, almost this full nine months now. So um, we'll see what happens postpartum, which is always what makes me nervous because mm-hmm. you can tend to flare once you reach that pregnancy hormone. But um, it's taken me a long time. You know, the first five years of my disease was a lot of trial and error. Um, as I said, the first decade was incredibly isolating because I kept my disease a secret from everybody. Mm-hmm. I told friends and family and coworkers, but I worked in the television news business for 10 years in three different states, and I did not want to be labeled, you know, Natalie, the sick news anchor. So Mm -hmm. I never let the viewers or the community know what I was going through and battling each day that I sat on that news desk. So the moment that I left the um, news media in 2014, something just clicked in me, and I can't even remember what. It's 2014. And I thought, you know what, now is the time that I can use my story to inspire others and show them that there is hope and you can follow your dreams. You can live a full life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started sharing my journey on social media. And in that moment, I just felt so much stronger and like I could really face anything. And um, I've also just been so lucky because I've been on the same biologic drug for more than a decade and haven't built up antibodies. Mm -hmm. I have had flare-ups through the years, but nothing 
um, that I haven't obviously made it through. Right. Um, and I, I do attribute a lot of my strength to finding a man who was able to see me as more than my disease and who actually um, makes me feel empowered in my vulnerability and who supports me every step of the way. My husband, Bobby, um, mm-hmm. is a true cheerleader and champion for IBD. Um, he's there for me every second of the day. And no matter what, you know, every hospitalization we've had together, he's never left my side. He spent every single night in the hospital with me, cheered me on with every injection, sat in doctor's appointments. You know, he's always there. So That's I wonderful. think having a strong support, yeah, having a strong support network um, of both friends and family uh, definitely makes you feel like you can take it on. And just as a mom, I was able to leave the working world um, about two years ago. I started working from home as a full-time advocate, blogger, freelancer, mm-hmm. and just having that flexibility of hours and the flexibility of a work environment, you know, even the stress of not having to use a public bathroom, the little right. things, like being able to wear comfortable pants. Mm-hmm. Um, while I'm at work, um, at home, it's just all those little things, I think, make a big difference unless you put your health first. It really does. It kind of shifts your mindset when you're able to know that, like, I'm in a safe place today. I don't have to leave the house. Yeah. I can do whatever it is I need to. And it, it really does feel like a weight is lifted off your shoulders when you when you don't have to stress about those things. And, and it allows you to relax. And it's so, yeah. it, it's such... A complex disease where you know stress doesn't necessarily cause things but it doesn't help things mm-hmm. <laughs> no no for me stress is my biggest trigger mm-hmm. um as far as my disease activity would go I would say I get very if I get very emotional about something so for instance my grandmother today's actually a year she passed away mm-hmm. um I was extremely close with her and when something happens in my life that's like a big monumental um, issue or upsetting situation, I've landed up in the hospital um, just because I get so upset um, by my surroundings and, you know, my personal mm-hmm. relationships and things like that. So it is interesting how there can be a correlation for some of us with stress and our diseases. Yes, there definitely is. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your pregnancy. I want to kind of talk about pregnancy mm-hmm. and IBD. You said it's been, sure. you're going really well. And, and I've heard a lot yeah. of the same things of what you just said, where it's some women, they'll just flare up and then they're stuck in a flare for the mm-hmm. whole pregnancy, or they suddenly come out of a flare and they do great. So tell me a little bit, were you on medications when you got pregnant? Did you stay on medication? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you went yeah. through. So, yeah, I have been on my medication um, since July 2008. I've been on Humira. Mm-hmm. And um, I couple that with mesalamine, and then I take folic acid and a prenatal and a vitamin D and calcium, mm-hmm. <laughs> all because of malnutrition of IBD, really. Yeah. Um, but I do that whether I'm pregnant or not. So I'm on, I've been on a prenatal um, since I had my surgery in 2015 because the doctors knew I was getting married and they knew I was interested in starting a family. So they just got my body prepped. And ever since I've been on folic acid and prenatal ever since, which Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt you at all. And it, you know, with the way that our bodies now absorb, it's a great way to get those extra nutrients. So I would highly recommend talking to your OB and your GI and it can be a team effort. And when I'm not pregnant, I'm on just one milligram of folic acid a day. When I'm pregnant, I take two milligrams, Mm -hmm. one for me and one for the baby, which is not typical for those people who did not have IBD. So something to keep in mind for um, women in our community, that that is beneficial for you because you're not only bolstering the folic acid in your body, but also your babies. And they're not taking away that nutrient from you then. Um, So I have stayed on my injections. I've never missed any Mm -hmm. um, for over 10 years. um, And I do them from the start of my pregnancy until the day I deliver. I did it two days before my C-section with my son. And my last injection this pregnancy is supposed to be the day of my (laughs) C-section. But we're moving it up. I'm like, that's a lot going on in one day. (laughs) So I'm doing it the day before. Um, And with my wedding, we moved it a couple days earlier just so I could get a little boost of the medication going into the wedding weekend. So there is some flexibility in that. But I'm one of the people who... um, Things very strongly about staying on your medication in pregnancy mm-hmm. because you have to be a safe haven for the baby. And if you rock the boat or try to change things up and rely too heavily on that pregnancy hormone, mm-hmm. you can really set yourself up for disaster. And then it's a whole different situation when you're flaring and there's life inside of you versus when it's just you. Exactly. So you really kind of have to 
it's a mental game. I'm not going to say it's easy to give yourself an injection of a biologic while you have a baby kicking in your stomach at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets emotional at times, but at the same time, I, I've seen my son thrive beautifully. He'll be two in March, and he's a picture of health. I think he's maybe had two colds, mm-hmm. and he's um, just, you know, doing wonderful. So he, I, I see him each and every day, so that gives me confidence that my little girl will do just the same. And, you know, there's a strong community of IBD moms out there Mm -hmm. that are so vocal and passionate and we're all available online. And there's actually a group called IBD Moms. It's brand new. Um, It's launching right as we speak. I think in January is really going to be the main launch of it. Um, But there's just moms who get it, who live your reality and understand what's going through your mind um, every step of the way from conceiving to leading up to starting a family to being pregnant to having a baby and just being a mom. Mm -hmm. And that never existed before. You know, it's always kind of one of those things where you just kind of Google and there's all different responses. And to this day, even through my blog, it's amazing that the most questions I get are, mm-hmm. you know, do you stay on your medication? What's it like to be pregnant? Can mm-hmm. I even be pregnant? Is my body able to do this? You know, yes. and our fertility is really not affected any differently than a typical person. It's more so, you know, where you are in your disease state. If you're flaring and having a rough year, it's not smart to try and get pregnant mm-hmm. because oftentimes that'll carry over throughout the pregnancy. So um, something I've also done is my GI does a colonoscopy on me right before we start to conceive, like the month before, so -hmm. that I get a better, you know, picture of what's going on. And she'll she'll literally walk in the recovery room and say, you've got the green light to try for baby. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) so I think that that's um, something that gives me comfort going into it as well. Yes, that definitely would. Now, when you became pregnant with your son for your first child. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the IBD moms group online is going to be a new group. Was there anyone yeah. that you had with your first son that you could look up to and talk about IBD and pregnancy with, or did you have to go it alone? I really did that alone. I, I was blogging at the time, but I didn't know of many advocates um, who were moms. I had connected with a couple people, but I was still pretty new to all of it because I got pregnant in July 2016. Mm-hmm. So my blog was a year. My blog actually launched the day before I found out I was pregnant, to give you an idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was a big <laughs> week for me. <laughs> um, so I was very new to all of it. So if anything, it was one of those things where I would share a story and then it would connect, some, connect me to somebody um, with a child. Um, but now it's been so different because I've had the chance and opportunity to attend conferences and be at events where I meet these online advocates in person. And it's unbelievable because you have all these friendships virtually and then you meet people in person and they're exactly what you expect and you just instantly connect. Mm-hmm. And now um, IBD Moms is already on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and you have a whole group of women that are readily available. There's also another group. Um, that I find to be awesome that just launched this um, past year called Mamas Facing Forward. Mm -hmm. It's for women with chronic illnesses that want to be moms, are moms. And it's it's wonderful because it's not just IBD. It's all different types of autoimmune Mm -hmm. um, conditions and diseases. So that's not as fine-tuned to our community. But there's still so many of us that are in both IBD moms and Mamas Facing Forward. So it's a safe space. Because otherwise, when you just talk to a friend who's of perfect health, Mm -hmm. they can empathize, but they really don't understand, you know, quite everything that that goes on. So I would say lean on those communities and know you're not alone. Well, that's fantastic. Those are amazing resources. I had no idea that we're out there. I don't have children myself. um, But so I'll I'll find all those links. And if you've got them, feel free to send them to me. But I'll put them in the show notes because I think those are so valuable. I mean, just what you're Mm -hmm. saying for people to be able to ask a question to someone else who's going through the exact same thing is very different yeah. from someone who's just empathizing and, and saying, well, I'm sorry, but they don't truly understand all the stuff mm-hmm. that's going on in your head. <laughs> yes, yes. So as IBD patients, we know how individual Crohn's and colitis can be, and they really are. But tell me a little bit, I want to talk about food and what impact IBD 
does or doesn't have on the way you eat because I've noticed over the years when I talk with people food is so individual and the doctors are reluctant to usually say do this or do that because it's so different for everyone so tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit about your experience and even being on medication do you still watch what you eat Yes. So I agree 100%. Um, diet is such a hotly contested topic in the Ivy community. Um, <laughs> Probably everywhere. When people, uh, yeah, when people ask me to write about it, I kind of just pause and it's, it's my least favorite topic because <laughs> it's so individualized that I never feel like I can really capture, you know, what it is for each person, you know, because we, we all react differently to food. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there was one blanket diet that worked for everybody as a magic bullet, trust me, we would all do it. <laughs> um, I do think it's all about, you know, finding what your trigger foods are and what your safe foods are. Mm-hmm. And we can all do that universally. Um, when I was first diagnosed, they put me on a low residue diet for about nine months, which for those who don't know, mm-hmm. is not eating, you know, raw fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. It's it's eating all the unhealthy things, all the white pastas, <laughs> the white bread, yes. the meats, um, noodles and that, lots of noodles. <laughs> yes, lots of carbs. Yeah. Um, and I was someone that's always loved fruit and vegetables. And that was really hard on me. And at first, back then, they almost made it sound like that's just going to be my life forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget the first time I had a salad. My parents came up to my television station in Minnesota that I was working at. And I had a salad in public for the first time in nine months. And I broke down at the restaurant and cried. Um, just because, you know, when you go nine months without eating lettuce or something, yeah. it's a weird <laughs> feeling, you know. Yeah. Um, but as the years passed by, I slowly started to reintegrate all of the fruits and vegetables back into my diet. And I started to see, you know, when I eat cantaloupe, sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll get a stomachache. When I eat watermelon, sometimes I'll get a stomachache. So I eat those carefully. I'll say, Mm -hmm. so for instance, if I'm about to give a speech or if I'm at a big, you know, work event or if I'm doing something with family all day, I will stay away from foods that can maybe cause me pain. Mm -hmm. But if I'm sitting at home and (laughs) I want to be a little (laughs) risky, I'll eat some of my bunk cantaloupe off his high chair (laughs) and just see what happens. Because, hey, I've got nowhere to go. If I need to run to the bathroom 20 times, it's it's fine. I've had Um, those moments where it's like, you know what? I'm just going to eat that and (laughs) (laughs) figure out what happens. Sometimes you just need to do it. Um, I feel that nuts and popcorn are triggers for me as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if somebody has peanut M&M's, I might take a couple if I feel like I want to feel, <laughs> play a little Russian roulette, um, but yes. I don't do those things if I'm flaring. Yeah. So it's all about how I'm feeling that day and how confident I am. Um, through this pregnancy, I've actually had popcorn a couple times. My mom thinks I'm crazy when I do that. Um, I'm like, don't tell my husband. <laughs> um, but I just wanted it, you know, and I'm like, no, I feel so great right now. I think I can handle it. I didn't have any problems. But then other times, you know, I'll eat it when I'm not pregnant and it's immediate gnawing pain mm-hmm. in my stomach and I know it was a mistake. Well, so and I think it's kind of tricky. Have to just navigate that. And it, yeah. it's kind of tricky too when, when we do have those days where we're feeling good and it's like, surely I can eat that and be just fine. And, and we almost kind of forget um, how terrible yeah. it can be. <laughs> yeah. So then we quickly are reminded within a matter of minutes and think, okay, this is why I don't eat this typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't had a beer since I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I don't drink diet pop. Um, Cause I, when I was first diagnosed, I drank like a Coke zero mm-hmm. right after I got out of the hospital. And I almost landed back in the hospital, just drinking that. Wow. And it was enough of a painful situation where I've never had it since. So if I do drink pop, I drink, and I say pop because I'm from Chicago. <laughs> For those listeners out there, I not don't soda. soda <laughs> but um, but um, so I just if I do drink pop, I drink regular, um, but I try to even stay away from that. Um, so it's just kind of one of those things. If I go in the hospital though, and I'm you know dealing with a bowel obstruction, I throw myself back onto a low residue diet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of like a, it ebbs and flows, but I really feel like I'm able to eat 90% of what I want to eat. You know, I don't eliminate really mm-hmm. anything. So that's wonderful. I feel lucky in that regard. Yeah. 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 That's a wonderful spot to be in. 
So yes, you absolutely. you juggle a lot. You had your television news career for many years, and then you started mm-hmm. a family. Now you're blogging, advocating. How do you? What advice would you give to IBD patients on how to find that balance in their life and work and family? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in time. <laughs> I really didn't waste any time. I actually um, got diagnosed in July and moved off to my first TV job in October, um, uh-huh. eight hours away from family and friends. I didn't know a soul. And that was difficult. I mean, I was on, still on the 22-pound day, mm-hmm. 16 milligrams of prednisone at the time. Um, it was a lot, and I, to this day, don't even really know what was going through my head as far as, you were just diagnosed with a chronic illness. Yeah. Now you're going to move away and follow your dream two, two months later. And I'm proud of that decision, but I don't really know how I came to it. Honestly, it's such a blur because it was such a difficult time in my life. I think I was just kind of like mm-hmm. trying to have some normalcy mm-hmm. and try to, you know, show that this disease wasn't going to rule my life. But I don't know if that happened to me now, if I'd be able to have that strength and that ability to just say, I don't care that I have this. I'm moving away from everybody I know. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's just, you know, having patience with yourself, listening to the symptoms in your body. As the years go by, I'm sure you're the same way since you've had it almost as long as I have, Mm -hmm. that you know when something is festering and something is starting. Yes. And you know what symptoms to watch out for. At the beginning, it can be kind of difficult, and I used to try to be a superhero and waited to like the last possible moment mm-hmm. to go to the hospital. And the doctors would always say, you need to come in as soon <laughs> as you feel anything because this is going to get even worse, you know? Right. <laughs> if you allow this to go on, um, you're setting yourself up for even more disaster. Yes. So as hard as it is, you have to recognize when to slow down, when to say no, when to put your health first. And it can be easier said than done, but mm-hmm. um, I try to just be mindful of when I'm starting to slowly notice a change. Yes. That's, that's great advice. And I think it's easy to get wrapped up in life and forget to pay attention to the signs and forget to pay attention to our bodies. And we have to, I think we really do have to. Mm -hmm. So with this being a disease of remission and flares and remissions and flares, what do you do when you do have a flare up or even if it's minor from minor to severe, what do you mm-hmm. do to remind yourself that, that this is just a hiccup, that it's not the forever, and how do you keep that mindset? That's a really good question. I think something that needs to be talked about more often, because so much of what IBD is is not physical, so much is mental, mm-hmm. um, because it really is a mind game, because even when you're feeling well, you know deep down that the next hour you could be hospitalized. You know, mm-hmm. your, your health can change so quickly, it is petrifying at times. Yes. Um, and you don't know what the next day is going to bring. You don't even know when you make dinner plans, like how you're going to be feeling in a few hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do feel that that's something that is a constant challenge and something that's always sit in the back of my mind. When you think of like a good conscience and a bad conscience, yeah. <laughs> there's always some voice, you know, telling you, well, this could happen, or I hope, you know, don't don't be too confident. You know, yeah. I always feel like I personify Crohn's as a person, mm-hmm. um, and I try not to allow him to control me. Um, but I think I, like I think back to all of my prior flares, and I know the drill, you know. I know what's going to happen in the ER. I know what's going to happen when I'm hospitalized. Mm-hmm. I try to take it a day at a time. Um, it's always an emotional, it's a setback uh, situation, but at the same time, I try to keep perspective mm-hmm. and try not to get overwhelmed. You know, for the longest time, surgery was my biggest fear, but now that I've had 18 inches of my intestine removed, I've had a C-section, I'm having another C-section <laughs> three weeks from Monday, surgery really doesn't scare me anymore because I know exactly <laughs> what that incisional pain feels like yeah. and what it's like to recover, mm-hmm. um, but for the longest time, that was always very scary to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What, um, it, it's funny, I was going to say, I kind of described, because you were talking about how you never know how you're going to feel in a few hours or things like that, but I've often described mm-hmm. Crohn's as kind of like walking on a tightrope, <laughs> where yeah. when, you're, when you're walking it, you feel great, and you're conquering the world, and it's so cool, but then one little slip, and you don't even know it's coming, and you're just hanging on for dear life. Yes, you really are. And that's what's what's heartbreaking to me for 
the young people that have this disease, the mm-hmm. children. It's yes. imagine how scary that must be. You know, they're at school during the day, and then all of a sudden they're flaring, and they can't even really understand or comprehend mm-hmm. what's going on in their intestines. And um, it's those, it's the young patients that really inspire me to be strong. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even as an adult, I have a hard enough time. Uh, wrapping yeah. my head around some of these things, but I can't even imagine if I would have been diagnosed at, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. Mm-hmm. Just a whole different. Well, it sure is. And those, those impressionable teen years and mm-hmm. everything. I mean, everybody has a difficult journey no matter when they get diagnosed, but my heart really breaks for the youth. Mine does too. So tell me, what's been the biggest challenge you've faced since having Crohn's and how did you get through it? I would say starting my Humira injections in 2008 was one of the most emotional and emotional and pivotal moments for me um, because back then before citrate-free Humira, which is pain-free, <laughs> I've been on that since September and it's phenomenal. Um, it's completely altered and changed my patient's journey. I mean, I'm talking injections that used to be the worst pain I've ever endured mm-hmm. uh, from an injection or a needle um, in my life to just non-existent. I mean, you put the shot in and you literally smile. It doesn't even oh, hurt at all. That's amazing. So, <laughs> I did Humira really for a is. few for a few years and yeah. so you know the I know the I know the pain and I'm just I'm really impressed at the number of new medications that are coming out and I saw when you were blogging yes. about you were so excited to try the pain-free Humira. So I'm excited to hear mm-hmm. that it is actually pain-free. <laughs> Yes. Oh, my gosh. And and there was a lot of anxiety leading up because mm-hmm. people say pain-free, but is it really pain-free? <laughs> you're still putting a needle in your leg or your stomach, mm-hmm. um, but it is legitimately pain-free. Um, and I used to have to do a whole production even after a decade of being on it, mm-hmm. you know, where my husband would, like, sit next to me. I'd ice my leg. I'd have Aww. a reward for myself afterwards, like ice cream or Aww. a treat. Yep. Now I do it while he's at work um, or while he's bathing my son. I do it all on my own. 10 seconds, and I'm just in awe that this is my new reality. Oh, that's um, wonderful. So just injecting that loading dose of four hair shots in 2008 and starting a biologic drug, mm-hmm. you know, before I met my husband, before I started a family, a lot of worries back then. What are the side effects going to be? Mm-hmm. All of that was a lot and overwhelming. Um, and then also just going through the whole bowel resection situation. Yes. That was an example of being blindsided. I was at work giving a presentation um, to my entire floor. And then all of a sudden, my stomach just started killing me. And I ran into the bathroom and I actually blacked out in there. Oh, wow. And um, I, I was rushed. I, I drove home, which was not smart. Um <laughs> No. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I, come home. I don't even know. I drove home and my mother-in-law, um, I was only dating, my, I was engaged to my, mm-hmm. my husband at that point. She came over, I was throwing up on the floor, drove me to the hospital, I had a bowel obstruction, and oh, they wow. did an MRE, and they discovered I needed surgery. So those two moments were the most challenging in my patient journey. Wow. Those are definitely... Definitely challenging moments. I think uh, you kind of probably do a lot of the same things I do where it sounds like you wait till the last minute to go to the hospital (laughs) and uh, where you drove home instead of driving yourself to the hospital. I I relate to that quite a bit. And so if anyone who is listening, please go to the hospital first. (laughs) Yeah. Do not. uh, It's not the way to do it. Go to the hospital and get taken care of. I don't know how you feel, but in those moments, I don't know if it's the anxiety of the flare-up or the pain, but I've actually had moments where um, I actually ended up in a grocery store bathroom the same year um, because I was in so much pain from my obstruction. I actually started, I stopped losing, I lost all feeling in my wow. arms and in my legs. Oh, wow. And I was by myself in a public bathroom screaming and all alone and I couldn't feel my limbs and it was crazy because I couldn't even use my hands to call anybody on my phone because they were like frozen in these like weird positions from I think all the tension anxiety and I accidentally called my mom in Chicago and I live in St. Louis and (laughs) she just heard me screaming I wasn't even holding the phone and she thought I was. She thought something bad was happening to me, like I was right. like getting lynched or something. Mm-hmm. It was like very scary for her. Um, and then I was able to tell her. She called my husband, who then had to rush from work and get me from the hospital or from the grocery store. 
Um, and then we went to the hospital. So it's just try to get to the hospital as soon as you can so you avert <laughs> those types of crisis situations. Yes. Because when you put yourself in a public situation like that, that can even cause other issues to happen, you know. Exactly. So you really got to be careful. You do. You do. That's, that's great advice. So I want to more ta- traumatic than anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just going through all of that. It's unnecessary. It is definitely unnecessary. And I kind of, in the back of my head, I think about a, a story kind of similar to that, but I had, um, there was one day, this was a few years ago, and I had, I just, out of the blue, I dropped to my knees. The pain was so intense, and my pale, my skin got pale, and I was sweating, and it just, it felt like my intestine had just ripped in half, and so instead mm-hmm. of going to the hospital, I called my my boyfriend at the time we're now married but so I called him and I'm like Mm -hmm. can you stay on the phone with me because if I pass out then I need you to call an ambulance (laughs) if I stop talking but but maybe I can get through this so just stay on the line with me (laughs) yeah that's very similar not a good decision we know what it means as much as we hate you know all that's going to happen once we get to the hospital Mm -hmm. I think we try to do everything we can we think we can still be in the driver's seat and in control but when it gets to that level degree of a flare-up, it's out of our hands. We need yeah. to have medical attention. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to, you know, we're both examples of we needed to be in the hospital, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's scary to navigate, though. And it's easier said than done when you look back. Hindsight's twenty twenty. In the moment, I never thought I should drive to the hospital right now. It didn't even cross my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to pack a hospital bag. My mother-in-law is going to drive me. It was all, like, nice and easy. Yeah. <laughs> Happen very differently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to talk about your role as an IBD advocate. So what was mm-hmm. it that really compelled you to just leave the TV news industry mm-hmm. and put all of your effort into becoming an advocate? That's a good question. Um, I had met my husband um, in twenty. 20- 13, and we were long distance while I was a news anchor in Springfield, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Chicago, so that's about three hours from where I grew up. And we've been, you know, commuting an hour and a half back and forth for about a year and a half. And in that time, I had three bottle obstructions all while in St. Louis visiting mm-hmm. him. So I knew that deep down that he was the one I wanted to spend my life with. And my doctor was actually saying my GI was saying, that he thought the morning show schedule, because I was a morning anchor, getting up at 2 in the morning, five days a week, mm-hmm. um, functioning on very little sleep. Meals were all over the place mm-hmm. because of those hours. You know, at 8 a.m., you want to eat a cheeseburger. It's very <laughs> weird. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're just like all your body flex messed up. Um, so he actually wrote a note to my news director and had me break my contract about 60 days early because he said that this was contributing to my Crohn's flaring up. Um, And I knew I wanted to move to St. Louis, too. So I made the decision to get out of the television business because as much as I love television, I still do. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to balance a chronic illness and those crazy hours and work schedule and a normal life. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew I wanted to be a mom someday and I wanted to be married and just family is always my priority. So Mm -hmm. for the first time ever, I put you know, in my career, I put family first. And yes. I'm not saying you can't do it all, but it's hard to do when mm-hmm. you also have a severe chronic illness. So I left TV, and I don't, I really don't know what changed in me where I just said, now I'm going to post something on Facebook telling everybody I have Crohn's disease. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but I did. Um, shortly thereafter, like weeks after I left the business, mm-hmm. I, I shared it on social media. And then I ended up having. Um, more bowel obstructions and surgeries. And at that time, I thought, you know what? On the 10-year anniversary, which was in 2015, um, mm-hmm. so basically a week after my 10-year anniversary is when I had my bowel resection, I said, in the next year, I want to launch a blog. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of planning on my part because I wanted it to be unique. I wanted it to be positive. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write weekly, which is... I don't know many bloggers who blog weekly. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I blog every Monday, and I've never missed a Monday. Oh, that's awesome! Um, And people are often like, "Oh, when you have your daughter next month, you're not going to do weekly." I'm like, "Yes, I am. I actually have my content (laughs) all set until March." Oh, that's awesome! um, What I'm going to be writing about because I'm so passionate about it that it doesn't feel like a job to me. It Mm -hmm. feels like a passion project. Yes. Um, And people, you know, are so sweet and say I help them out a lot, but 
it's a win-win for me too, because when I'm able to connect with people like you mm-hmm. and other people on Instagram, I get emails and, you know, text yes. messages, all these different things. I feel empowered when I'm at my lowest. Yes. So, you know, people will write me and I'll be like, that's a great story, dear. I love your story. I want to share it. Um, and I would never have that rapport with the community if I didn't have my blog. So it's just been, it's, it's grown so much um, through the, through the years. It's something I just love doing. Mm -hmm. I completely relate to that. It's been just getting this podcast set up and going and reaching out and talking with more people. It really is a passion. It's, it's mm-hmm. so amazing to be able to start sharing things and learning. And there's so much that I learned and found hope and motivation and inspiration from yeah. all the other people that I eventually stumbled across and met that it's like, I want to do the same. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. And this podcast is great. I'm just so honored to be a part of it. And it's funny because, you know, you found someone on Instagram and it's like I get to hear your voice now and I get to hear your story. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps carrying on. It snowballs. It so does. as soon as people open up and share their story, you just open yourself up to so much more support. So God forbid my next hospitalization compared mm-hmm. to what it was in 2015 where I didn't know anybody in the community. Right. Now I'd be able to text or, or email or write people on Instagram. Any, I, like hundreds of people. Instant um, support. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. That's amazing. Well, talk to me about, because you get to talk to a lot of people with IBD, and just as you said, you share their mm-hmm. stories. But do you find that some people still have a hard time talking about this disease? I mean, I know you said it took yeah. you 10 years to talk about it. It's taken me 10 years to finally start talking about mm-hmm. it. Do you find that that's common? Yes, especially um, and this is, you know, I don't want to say it's like stereotypical, but mm-hmm. in my uh, findings, it seems that teenage boys mm-hmm. and young 20-somethings, um, their moms oftentimes reach out to me mm-hmm. because they do not want to share their journey and they're very embarrassed and they kind of just act like they don't have it. Yeah. Um, and, and there's not as many male advocates out there. You'll notice in the IBD community. So I wish that more men would feel comfortable mm-hmm. and more vulnerable. Um, they have it just as bad as we do, you yes. know, but they're not as visible. So you'll be able to see online that there's just a handful, really, of men mm-hmm. and teenage guys that are open. And I wish more would come out and, and share because I think that there's so many men out there that are yearning for that type of relationship. You know, I can yes. tell a man all the advice I can, but it's not the same as hearing from a fellow guy, yes. you know, what's it like dealing with this? Or, you know, <laughs> I can't give that perspective. You know? mm-hmm. And especially for the teenagers who I know, even early yeah. on for me as a young adult, I was, I didn't talk about it much, but I searched for people that I could kind of silently follow and watch and learn from. And so I'm sure that there are just a ton of teenagers out there, boys and girls who are just, who are maybe not talking about it, but they're looking for that role model or for someone that they can emulate and get some advice from. Yes, 100%. So how has being an advocate shaped your own view of life with Crohn's? It's definitely given me a lot, a lot of perspective um, I, I'm very positive all the time, which I think um, some people, you know, that have very, very severe cases may think, you know, well, this is not possible for everybody and really kind of almost get um, upset and angry mm-hmm. at the advocates who try and make it seem like, you know, you can do whatever you want to do with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not possible for everybody. And I understand that. But at the same time, um, I've been told by multiple GIs I have severe aggressive Crohn's. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've been on a biologic for over a decade. I've had eight inches of my intestine removed, abscesses, flare-ups, bowel obstructions, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've had quite a few challenges thrown my way, mm-hmm. and I haven't allowed that to stop me from my career, from getting married, from having kids. I Yes, I have Crohn's, but to me, it's all such a mind game. It's part of me, but it's not all of me. Yes. Um, And I think for many people that are struggling and that are in the hospital 24-7, I mean, there's people that are very, very, very sick, let's Mm -hmm. not downplay this, Yes. who really can't work and who can't do these things. But for the majority of us, once you get well-maintained, 
once you know how to control your disease, it is possible to live a full life. There's many of us who do so. Yeah. Um, so I think just being an advocate has opened up my eyes to, you know, almost a lack of education that's out there mm-hmm. because many mm-hmm. people, it's almost scary to me. You know, they'll be on prednisone and they'll rent me and their GI never even told them, you know, this is going to increase your appetite. <laughs> this is going to give you puffy cheeks. It's, it's, you know, almost scary how uneducated know. so many people are. And it makes me sad that, you know, some people don't have friends or family that they can lean on. And they have a mental health aspect of it where they're struggling. And it can almost be overwhelming as an advocate because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sitting on the couch with my husband and I'll get an email. And it's, you know, somebody that's really crying out for help. Yes. And my phone's playing and I've been working a little bit on my blog <laughs> and taking care of him. And I, I literally respond almost immediately to every message I get. Yeah. And it, it can be overwhelming to me. Because even when I'm feeling well, I'm dealing with so many sickly people and situations that it can kind of take me out of my, my remission mm-hmm. and my comfort because I go to that dark place, you know, of what they're going through. Yeah, because you so know exactly it, what they're going tough. through. Yeah, it's a tough spot sometimes. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been anything that's really surprised you that you didn't expect to, to learn or find out while you've been an advocate? That's a good question. Um, I think just almost how prevalent it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear about the statistics all the time, but when you connect with people on social media all across the world and you're all living your same reality mm-hmm. and you can look in the mirror some days or maybe you're stuck in the bathroom and somebody's comment to you will have a lasting impact and just empower you so much. You know, someone that just wrote you and says, your story and your words mm-hmm. help me get through this. That's why we... Um, it's amazing how one email or one comment can make such a difference. And even the ones that are negative, those stay with you too. Yes, (laughs) Yes, they do. It goes back, it goes both back and forth, but it's a conversation and people need to understand that words have power. And I think sometimes what's interesting as an advocate that can be disconcerting at times is that we are speaking obviously to the IBD community, but I'm also trying to educate my friends and family who do not have Crohn's and colitis right. about what my reality is. And oftentimes I feel like that falls on deaf ears and that they just scroll right past it. Obviously don't read what I'm writing because <laughs> when they see me in person, yes. you know, all my social media is just covered with articles and different things. And they don't even say, so how are you feeling? Yeah. I mean, I would say that happens to me 95% of the time. And I'm like, that's interesting. Like my mom and I are just, it's, it's crazy to us because it's like, I'm so vocal and apparent about what is going on. And those close to me oftentimes act like I'm completely healthy yeah, and don't even take the time or effort to read a, a 500 word article to get to know me better. Well, and so, I, I think it it's, kind of it can. And I think it's hard too, because when, because I think a lot of IBD patients I've met, I know I do it, but we try to put on this, this happy face. Like you said, I mean, you mm-hmm. went through your whole news career, you didn't want anyone to know. And, and I've had my yeah. fair share of hiding how I really feel. And so I think people get so used to seeing us that, we're putting on, you know, our best foot forward. And so we look like we're doing okay, but inside we're just falling apart and disintegrating (laughs) that. Yeah. I think it's It's hard. It's a blessing and a curse Mm -hmm. that it's an invisible illness. (laughs) As much as I, I enjoy the fact that I can look like a normal person Mm -hmm. and look healthy at the same time, it's almost scary how just by putting a smile on your face, you can hide everything that's going on. Yes. Yeah. Which I, I think fellow caretakers, spouses, parents need to be mindful of because I've done this multiple times and if you really know me, you can't tell when I'm flaring and when I'm perfectly healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually my like tall tail signal is I just stop. I kind of like shut off and I don't talk very much Mm -hmm. and I kind of just smile. Um, and those close to me can like read it almost immediately. Cause as you can tell in the chat of Kathy, um, <laughs> I'm a very like talkative, bubbly person, but for those who are just, you know, casual acquaintances, they probably just think, Oh, she's not talking very yeah. much. Oh, but she's just being quiet using, and smiling. <laughs> yeah. And I use when I, when I shut down, I don't talk. It's really me just trying to get through the moments of pain 
and just kind of like go to a happy place. You know, mm-hmm. yes. Like you can barely listen to what's being said to you in the moment when people are around you. You're just trying to get through that public situation. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult. It is. And I think a lot of people relate to that. I know I definitely relate to that. I've had many dinners or nights out where I've just been quiet <laughs> and yeah. I'm just focusing on if I can keep the pain down, we'll get home eventually. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting disease <laughs> to say the yeah, least. It is. It is. <laughs> very complicated. It, it is complicated. Well, before we wrap up, I want people, if people want to learn more about what you do and follow your work as an advocate, mm-hmm. where's the best place for them to go online? Sure. So my blog is Lights, Camera, Crone, an unobstructed view, and the website is lightscameracrones.com. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, you can find me as Natalie Ann Hayden on Instagram, A-N-N. And then on uh, Facebook and on Twitter, I actually my maiden name was Sprasio for my TV days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <laughs> but if you look up Natalie Hayden on Twitter, it'll come up, come up that way. Uh, Facebook, my community page is Natalie A. Sparacio, and that's S as in Sam, P as in Peter, A R A C as in Cat I O. Mm-hmm. And I post fresh content and articles every single Monday, sometimes on Wednesdays as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking for story ideas. So if there's a topic you'd like me to cover, or if you have a personal story or journey that you think would inspire and help others, shoot me an email. Do not be shy. I love hearing from people. Fantastic. I'll put all that in the show notes so that there will be links and right. people can, can reach out. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wanted to share with our listeners today? Um, I just want to implore everybody to find your voice and recognize that your journey and your story matters mm-hmm. and has so much power. It can really change somebody's life, um, especially those that are newly diagnosed, too. We all remember how it felt mm-hmm. to be blindsided and be told you have a chronic illness for the rest of your life. Um, a disease for which there's no cure, a disease that is going to be a daily battle. Just know you're not alone in that and find power and just love the person that you are despite your disease because I always believe that God gives his toughest lessons to his greatest teachers. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason you have this disease. You might not know it right now, but years down the road, you'll have much better clarity. Those are wonderful words. Thank you. Those are very, very good. Thank you. Well, this has been... So, such a great conversation. I really mean it from, you know, the bottom of my heart. Thank you for talking with me and sharing your story. I think it's so valuable and I'm hoping that we'll be able to get, you know, more people on and just sharing their stories and opening up the conversation inside the IBD community and teaching those who don't know anything about it, helping them to, to learn as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohnsfitnessfood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohnsfitnessfood or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.crohn'sfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.